0: Now. Hello there, welcome to episode 95 of Right Where You're Sitting Now. First of all, apologies for the delay with the episodes recently. Um, you may have noticed that the YouTube versions have been going up before the audio versions quite significantly in advance, I think we're two weeks in advance now on the YouTube version um, than on the audio version. That's because we've been having some difficulties with our software, I'm afraid to say, um, basically to cut a long story short, the video software we use to record is somehow interfering with the audio recordings. I don't know how, because they're two separate things. One's recording to a, a hardware device, and the other's recording to a hard drive. So God knows how that's uh, interfering, but it is, and it's making editing the audio episodes a little bit tricky. But I think I've figured it out now, and uh, we should be back on track. So um, yeah, so that you're going to get two episodes this week in fact you're going to get today's episode and then I'll probably put out the next one which is already out 96 which is already out on um youtube I'll probably put that out Saturday or Sunday I'm going to edit it straight after I record this yeah it's it's a pain in the ass but we're still you know trying to figure out what actually happened but for now I think I've found a solution so it's all good Anyway, enough technical jibber-jabber. We are today talking to Mr. Alan Greenfield. This is his third appearance on Sitting Now. I really like talking to Alan. I find he's... uh, Some people, you know, find him difficult because he tends to veer off course. Although on this interview, I did manage to keep him a bit more on track and uh, people seem to be preferring this interview to the previous ones so anyway this week we're talking about his book secrets of the real black lodge revealed 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 i don't know why i put an echo on the end of that it just feels like it needs an echo it's in red on the front cover which i quite like i like it when words are punctuated by red for some reason but anyway the book's about the shadowy black lodge that uh, they're kind of like an evil secret chiefs but anyway we've covered the black lodge previously with Alan, but that was before his book was released, and um, I, I got the impression he didn't want to give too much away at that point. Whereas now the book's out, we uh, we do a nice long interview. I think this one's quite long; it's like two and a half hours. So if you're into your greenfield you're getting a bumper, bumper two and a half hours on this one. Anyway, I'm going to stop going on because I think most of you know what it is we're talking about and who it is we're talking to. So. I'm going to cut across to the interview but before that don't forget to follow us on social media and leave us a review if you're listening on the audio leave us a review somewhere <laughs> I don't know where I think Apple still lets you do reviews or like you know there's a star you can hit I don't mind like if you don't like the show and just give us a one star but you know interaction is is is, is much appreciated and uh, we, we've been interacting with a lot of you and it's been really good fun we've actually made some made some new friends and yeah I've been really enjoying it anyway As you know when it's just me on the show I don't do an outro so I shall say goodbye for now and see you sometime later in the week. Probably Sunday I'm imagining. Probably Sunday and then we'll be back on schedule. So I will see you next time. Hi, Alan Greenfield. Welcome back to the show. Good to have you back on. Um, I figured we, could, we had sh- you on about the Black Lodge before, before you'd released your book. And now the book's out and I've read it. It feels like we didn't really cover a massive amount of ground in the last time, obviously, because I assume you want pe- wanted people to read the book first. But uh, so, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, uh, let's talk a little bit today um, about you know some some more black lodgeish stuff <laughs> i guess but anyway how are you anyway how, how have you been
1: i'm breathing in and out <laughs> in that order so any day is a good day as far as i'm concerned if i'm able to keep that up but uh the book is doing very well and since it's a message book as it were uh I'm glad that it's doing very well, and I hope that it continues to. It's uh, the third in what was always intended to be a trilogy, which is, starts with Secret Cipher, the UFOnauts, and then 10 years later, Secret Rituals of the Men in Black, and then there's the combined edition of that, uh, which was my, publish- my current publisher's uh, idea. I thought it was... Uh, a shot in the dark, but it turned out it has been a very popular version, primarily because of my friends the Newkirks talking about it in Hellier and other places, and uh, uh, it has had a second, uh, second coming <laughs> of the secret cipher. But I always thought that the third book would be focused on the secret chiefs of the third order because – that's positive, and that's a a good area to go into. But I don't know. For My impression is that times in occult circles, but in far larger circles, have turned rather dark. And I do believe that knowledge is power. And I wanted to do something that hasn't been done since the 1920s for reasons I'm not really sure of, which is expose the Black Lodge to the light of day so that in a nutshell is what the book is all about what's interesting is in the book you start off looking at sort of fictional
0: sources um obviously we've got Moonchild and Twin Peaks in there but could you talk a little bit about um why you chose obviously it's obvious why you chose Moonchild and Twin Peaks in some ways but why did you decide to not look at things like H.P. Lovecraft in the book, because Lovecraft seems like he's telegraphing a kind of Black Lodge kind of um, warning as well, I'd say, in his books.
1: Yeah, but then I would have to go into the notion of Lovecraft's fiction, which he always claimed to the end of his life was fiction, and then go into Kenneth Grant's uh, take, on Lovecraft's fiction and why he thought that it was more uh, the dream quest of unknown Lovecraft in New England, which is a dark and gloomy place that, <laughs> uh, that is, sort of fosters that sort of idea. It would be a whole book in itself. Uh, the reason for Twin Peaks was because it actually uh, broke the taboo in occult circles, on talking about the Black Lodge. And I don't know yet how uh, David Lynch will react to the book, if at all, but I do think that there is clearly knowledge of the real Black Lodge enfolded into that. And uh, Moonchild is not fiction, it's a Roman Eclipse. And that's a very, uh, actually, the line in there uh, that says that it's a Roman Romanoclef was my contribution to that particular section of the book because I didn't want people to think that this was what has been peddled as fiction, Uh, one of the Simon If uh, stories. Crowley's attempt out, do Sherlock Holmes, uh, which would have been, appalling to Arthur Conan Doyle, but uh, it probably was appalling (laughs) to Conan Doyle if he, I don't know uh, the timing there, but in any case, uh, because it was a Roman Eclef and because I know who each and every person personified in there actually was, uh, I think it's a valid approach to how to deal with the Black Lodge magically and maybe personally as well so
0: Grandson i did the same food. thing didn't he with his sort of fictional writing um a lot of it seems very autobiographical Um uh, the yes the, yeah and it's um it seems like it's a good way to sort of hide things you don't necessarily want to say directly isn't it you sort of hide it in fiction
1: oh well there's a lot of that i mean uh, uh Well, Talbot Mundy was a pen name, but uh, Talbot Mundy wrote The Nine Unknown, which is basically the Eastern version of the Black Lodge, which is all the same thing. The Black Lodge is not a term that people in the Black Lodge or beings in the Black Lodge use about themselves, it's just a convenient moniker to hang on it. It's a lot of other interpretations and uh monday was a colonial officer out in india and apparently encountered this group directly but because he was in the in the colonial service during the raj uh, he wrote it as uh quasi fiction but uh i uh didn't cover uh Talbot Mundi in the book but his presence was certainly felt there and that goes back to uh, a a tradition in India going back to I think it was the Emperor Ashoka which goes back to oh 2000 years roughly speaking Um, and this is a worldwide phenomenon and uh, uh, should I go into the definition of secret chiefs and the black lodge or it, would your audience already know that
0: well i think it's because we're picking up you know lots of new audience at the moment and i think a lot of them are you know we always try to sort of you know cover both posts as it were the sort of the expert and the beginner sort of thing so i think it's always it might be good to sort of first talk about what the secret chiefs are and then also then look at the kind of combat you know sort of look at the the kind of links to the Black Lodge or the you know uh, I've, I've got the name you gave them a name didn't you at some point uh, is it the something of nine isn't it um was that right
1: uh the night the order of the nine angles that's a a real uh organization no, and a death it a was death cult
0: the council of nine I think is what they're called in the book
1: yeah mm. yeah well I think that's Madame Blavatsky's mm. term for it but uh I'm not sure she wasn't in the plot. Uh Now, theosophists today are good, if somewhat quaint folks, including their local chapter here, which has got a charter dating from 1913. Uh, so uh, I don't, you know, say that that's uh, carried over to modern times, but uh, the origins of... Uh, the Theosophical Society and its unrelenting war on the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, which is essentially P.B. Randolph's uh, uh, organization transposed to Scotland and then transposed uh, here to North Georgia and then out into the, the wilds of America, all the way to California. Uh, where it still survives as the uh, Church of Light, and which, in my own fashion, I uh, carry on that tradition myself, having been authorized to do so by the family of the uh, the last frontal chief of the official line of the Hermetic Brotherhood. Madame Blavatsky couldn't stand them, even though she had apparently been inducted into it During her pre-India period, when she was in Cairo and doing a mediumship thing, and she was seeking the ancient Egyptian secrets, as all European ladies who went to Egypt in those days were doing, one way or another, Uh, it was either that or, or, you know, dig up a few mummies and, take them home with you to your daddy's, whatever. Um, so she met a guy named Palos Metamon. They said, that's the name he went by who was an initiate of the ancient hermetic brotherhood of Light, And apparently she and Colonel Alcott were initiated into it, but ran afoul of it for some reason that I've never been able to know because you hear about it, uh, Metemah never wrote anything, at least not in English. I mean, he would have written in uh, Coptic or in, in uh, Greek or in uh, Arabic. So, if any, and that's never been translated into any languages that I speak. I can stumble through Arabic, but uh, not well enough to, you know, to know anything that that he had done. But Uh, She and Alcott were expelled, so being the people of integrity that they were, they migrated to India, to Adyar, and there the mother house of the Theosophical Society has remained and had a great deal to do with uh, the birth birth of Indian uh, national identity, which as I look at the problems on the subcontinent there i say how's that working out for you <laughs> fellas <laughs> yeah
0: but let's let's go back to secret chiefs i think that's the um that's let's define the secret, the secret chiefs first i think and then look at the okay. kind of black lodge connection i think that's the
1: the secret chiefs are referred to as uh the masters in theosophy or the Ascended Masters, or uh, just the Chiefs. In magic, as early as the late 19th century, they began to be referred to as the Secret Chiefs. In classical uh, Hindu and Buddhist thought, they're referred to as Mahatmas or Bodhisattvas. And I I think that of all the terms that I've heard, it's probably, I'm not sure if that's uh, Sanskrit or Pali originally, but uh, bodhisattva seems like a really appropriate term. This is a type of being who starts out as an ordinary human. These are not entities from planet Piwam or, or dimension X. Uh, or Y or Z. They are people who have attained in the traditional mystical sense of attainment. But rather than going on to, again, Eastern term, nirvana, the great mm. universal mind, they have chosen to take a vow to aid all of. Uh, actually all sentient beings, I was going to say all humanity, but they're very careful to use the term sentient beings to achieve what they have achieved, however long that takes, before they would even consider entering into uh, moksha or nirvana or the highest planes or the Ayn Sof or, you know, there, there are terms that are different, but I think they are more or less synonymous. I rarely have anything nice to say about Aleister Crowley, but the correspondences in 777, I think are a good jumping off point for recognizing that all of these systems are one. They're just different cultural interpretations of the same system. Uh, the medieval Jewish mystics referred to them as the Lamet Vavniks, which, Means 35, you know, and uh, it's just the number of letter Lama and letter Vav is 35. And uh, um, secret chiefs will do because I, I came at this from a magical point of view, but it's also applicable uh, to the use that's made of uh, some of the terminology you find in trans channeling and ufology including some which is a good segue to the Black Lodge. Definition. The Black Lodge are also very, very highly developed human adepts who have transcended their humanity. They are immortal or semi-immortal, but they have not crossed in terms of the it's time the tree of life they have not dared to cross the great abyss to the higher planes whereas the secret chiefs have and are in a certain sense close to omniscient as close as coherent beings can be and uh, they have chosen instead to stay in what also called the city of the pyramids on the nether side on in other words on the lower side of the tree of life and just as you will find in all of the hierarchical magical organizations a certain type of pride takes hold of most people when you advance to a certain level and While it is your duty to advance others, there's uh, the duty in the AA, so called, is pretty clear. You can't advance until you advance your immediate student, although they get around that a lot in the various configurations, none of which I think are, you know, linearly descended from the original. Where to take that? So these are beings who have reached a point where they don't want anyone else to attain beyond their level, and that is simply a matter of pride. Uh, the uh, Milton's version of Satan is probably the quintessential archetypal uh, example of pride going before a fall. They don't exactly fall but they, because they are very powerful, but they are willing to do anything to keep others from attaining to their level and thus being of equal or greater rank as they see it to them. And again, you see that in the magical organizations too, which the, the further up you go, the more you put on airs And begin to think that you are a king or a prince or a you know, uh taking uh essentially Masonic titles far too literally. Uh I mean. And stay at uh, the top way too
0: long, I'd say, as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well
1: uh what, what I am a prince of Jerusalem, but if I go to Jerusalem and say Especially right now, and I say, I am a Prince of Jerusalem. Not only will the Arabs on top of the uh, the Temple Mount stone me from above, but the Jews at the base of the mountain will (laughs) stone me. And the only people left are the five Christians that are left in Jerusalem, (laughs) who will say, it's not our fight, (laughs) oh Prince. So. It's it's to be taken for what it is I, uh, a a masonic ennoblement that has uh, overlapped into uh, magical and even some gnostic organizations. So have I defined both reasonably yeah. well for the I've always... the ten minute version. You Read the book, people. Yeah, yeah, read the book. book. You're never going to really understand <laughs> it until you read the book and have an enlightenment experience.
0: Where do you feel that the Secret Chiefs fit into things like ufology as well? Because there does seem to be a link there. Um, and maybe also on the same thing, like how does the Black Lodge also fit into into ufology?
1: The, the Secret Chiefs have apparently judging by effect judging from effect to cause uh, they have something the equivalent of the star trek uh, non-intervention notion that they won't interfere with civilizations on any kind of broad basis but they do now and again Tilt human history through sages. Uh, I don't want to use the term savior because that, that term has been corrupted in Christianity as a, as a single being. And the fact is the term is derived from a Hebrew term Mashiach, Messiah, which means an anointed one and Uh, There are lots of Moshiachs and Moshiach claimants throughout history. So uh, going back to remote biblical times, it's not a personal identity. King Arthur is the quintessential Moshiach. I'm sure they'll upset lots of both uh, devout Christians and devout pagans. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, that's not. Not the way the mythos has gone. Robert Graves would have approved. I'm hearing from him now. He's channeling, yes. He can't say that to me. (laughs) Okay. He's a rude bastard. He was always a rude bastard. Even when he was alive, he was a rude bastard. Okay. So, I Claudius was not a great book, okay? (laughs) Okay, so, all kidding aside, I hope, um, I think you will find that in ufology, there is a direct connection to the earliest versions of trans-channeling UFO beings, quote-unquote, um, from such sources as uh, uh, the BSRA as it used to be called now BSRF, the Borderland Sciences Research Associates, which goes back to uh, well before Kenneth Arnold, uh, 1945, they were already doing uh, channeling of the coming of the guardians another term for the same thing and they were channeling uh, these beings which until uh jim lee's and company cracked the secret cipher in uh, Liber Alva legis uh the names of these beings that came through uh, their trans channels all the way through the 1950s and really shaped a large segment of the contactee movement. Didn't make a lot of sense until you decode them, and that's what the first book, uh, *Secret Cipher of the Ufonauts*, is about. Because that was my one real contribution. I mean, uh, Lee's and uh, and Carol Smith and uh, Jake Stratton Kent. God bless his soul. Uh, Uh, They were the pioneers. It uh, migrated to the USA through uh, Bill Webb and his followers, who in turn gave it to me as an occult cipher, and I applied it to uh, flying saucer-related names and words and uh, not only was it the first thing I thought of was this will predict future UFO cases, which it does, but it also uh, discloses what these beings really are and what they're communicating with, what they say about the planet that they came from, or their personal name, uh, Indrid Cold, comes to mind. Um, and... Uh, that has continued but interestingly enough there is and this is something we discuss in the book in detail because the book is about the black lodge specifically Um, and the secret chiefs are only taken as a given the black lodge uses certain trance channels and has at least since the vril society which was formed pretty much at the end of world war 1 in germany and was the springboard for many many movements some more evil than others i mean the the Aninurb within the and the ss within the the nazi movement uh, sort of was formed at vril society meetings there's a lot of nonsense about the vril the the vril Yo women I don't think ever existed that's the product of a relatively modern that is 1970s or 80s neo-nazi group in germany oh oh come and get it guys i have a katana next to my door (laughs) okay so (laughs) it's the the only move i know but that's the beheading move (laughs) Yes, uh, my name is Bill, (laughs) 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 and you can come get me (laughs) if you can find me. Um, They were going to get me. They would have gotten me long before (laughs) I did all this stuff because now it is filtered out. I was pretty much, with the exception, the notable exception of uh, Jacques Vallée and John Keel, I was a lone voice crying in the wilderness of this terminal ETH.
0: That's interesting because I I was going to talk about Keel and um, uh, uh, Passport to Magonia. The ultra-terrestrial phenomena, this is something that I think it keeps popping up all over the place at the moment. And it it doesn't really get defined particularly well anywhere, uh, except for Valais' book. But how does the ultra-terrestrial phenomena mix in with the Black Lodge, do you feel? Because there does seem to be a connection there.
1: Well, there's a connection with the secret chiefs as well. Uh, My feeling is there is zero evidence that UFOs are extraterrestrial. So what else could they be? Well... My whole thing, starting in the late 1960s, as somebody pointed out to me just recently, they found some old magazines that I wrote way back when, when I was, but a uh, wee bairn, callow youth, and not a very good writer. I am now fairly good, but I was, uh, every third word was probably the wrong word to use, uh, and also a lot of typos. Like I did an obituary. It's my most jarring memory from that period where I did an obituary for someone and I was trying to be moving and I said, flesh and blood. And I said, clearly in the published version, flesh and blook. (laughs) And apparently that old stuff is getting reprinted on the internet. But I I saw that I was pretty well in the category that I'm in now uh, that far back because it took me about eight years to realize that ye olde uh, extraterrestrial so-called hypothesis is a leap of faith, really. No UFOs have ever been seen coming here from other planets, unless you count Oumuamua. (laughs) And uh, I mean, that would, possibly that is something from another civilization. More likely it's a natural object from way out there in the ether. Um, So UFOs are seen on or near the earth or under the water or beneath the earth if you subscribe to the shaver stuff which i tend to so i don't think the earth is hollow neither did shaver by the way Uh, and i don't think there are cavern cities under the earth uh, except uh, i guard it and one or two other things that uh, are they're not established fact but i mean there have been numerous uh, witnesses to them, including Alexandra David Neal, I think. And uh, oh, who was that guy that we can't, we don't know who he was spying for. He was spying for Russia, spying for America, spying for Germany, maybe all of them. You know, Some people are very eclectic in their work. <laughs> uh, what, was, what was his name? The, the then vice president of the United States was a big fan of his, uh, Henry Wallace. He later ran for president. Uh, uh, you would recognize the name because he, he did a lot of, uh, moving around in Tibet, knew the locations of these, uh, two cities which are oh, it's not quite it a... Rorick? nicholas Rorick? yeah yeah yep. yeah yeah bingo mm-hmm. yeah very peculiar and interesting fellow oh there's a and, whole oh, there's uh, a
0: whole show in in Rorick. i want to do a whole show on that guy he's got there's some interesting stuff with him he's uh especially with his uh object that he received at some point later in his life but uh yeah
1: you might look at whether there's continuity between the stuff that he was doing and again he was whatever he was to the germans and whatever he was to the uh, i guess it was the nkvd back then in the soviet union a deceased country sort of Uh, and he was very close to uh the vice president of the United States. That was he that's got funding. The
0: second He got funding, didn't he, to go from the, from this guy to go to uh, like Tibet and places like that. Um, so the,
1: yeah, but I think he was getting funding from all three governments. <laughs> the Germans, because they were trying to prove the Aryan origin of Tibetans, which seems like the impossible dream to me. But... Uh, but They were wacky and, uh, you know, Vril-influenced and so forth. Uh, The the Russians had an interest in, uh, well, they had an interest in any country they thought they could get their claws into, as they did for a while in Mongolia. And you ask the Mongolian government now, they look north, they look south, and they're scared both ways. (laughs) Yeah. but they've been taken over by China, taken over by Russia. It's like being a Pole. Every army that has gone through <laughs> at one time or another has taken it out, you know, and uh, that's just the way of things, I guess. But Rorik knew these places, and one of them was associated with uh, high llamas of both schools, the black school and the white school. Uh, Crowley maintained there was also something called the yellow school, but I, I've never quite understood that distinction. I think that uh, maybe he was, you know, uh, hitting, hitting the crack pipe <laughs> <laughs> that day, and it seemed a sensible thing to mention. But, um, I mean, th- there are always neutral beings. But uh, generally, you don't reach that kind of level without having a sense of purpose of one sort or another. Um, I really haven't told you what the purpose of the Black Lodge is. It seems particularly appropriate to mention it at this point. They are not on the side of any group of politically conscious human beings or religious groups or anything, they're on the side of all of them fighting against one another because they would like to see civilization blown to hell in a nuclear holocaust. That is their purpose. If that fails, and it has so far, thank God, They have some hope that I, I wouldn't say that the sun would go supernova. That's unlikely. Although I didn't think Betelgeuse would go supernova either. And apparently it's just on the verge, which will change a lot about when we look up, we will see a bright sky and probably hear horns or whatever. I don't know. But um well, people are claiming they're hearing horns all over the world anyway. And I'm not in all apocalyptophiliac, <laughs> nor, nor do I anticipate anything that, that vast. But uh, there is some evidence that about 12,000 years ago, actually this uh, synchronicity with something I read today, that there was a solar storm of all storms that that uh, occurred about 12,000 years ago, and which uh, some informal luminaries maintained, basically changed the entire world, brought on the Younger Dryas period and the proliferate, the end of Certain types of animal life, similar to what happened to the dinosaurs much, much earlier. Of course, there's a separate school that says, no, it wasn't that. It was a comet breaking up. Uh, We don't actually know if either of those things happen. It just may be the Gulf Stream can be fickle, and sometimes it isn't uh, doing its uh, job the way we would like it to be done, and the world gets very cold very fast or very hot very fast depending usually it's it's both extremes it becomes very hot that interferes with a lot of different patterns in nature but it wouldn't at this point given the carrington event of 1850 whatever it was uh and how dependent we are even at this moment talking on uh rather exotic instrumentation that is vulnerable to cyber attack, let alone the sun just, you know, uh, radiating enough uh, uh, of a uh, coronal mass ejection to uh, basically fry all of our computers, all of our communication systems and uh, put us back a lot further than pre-internet, it would it would put us way back. I don't know. It might not be altogether bad because I think it would also make uh, modern warfare uh, less than practical. Have to go back to stones and bones and the occasional sword and the stone, you know. <laughs> so.
0: But do you feel, um, you're talking about like, kind of chaos essentially like the Black Lodge um do you feel there's some connection between the Black Lodge and Coronzon in some way do would there be some kind of uh admiration at least there between the two
1: (laughs) well I'm going to be a little bit in danger here of some of your previous guests and friendly people but uh yeah I think that there is a an aspect of the, not the Black Lodge itself, but those who are kind of devotees of what they take to be the Black Lodge, ranging from you know the Church of Satan, which uh, was not a belief-oriented organization; it was a organization based on theater and stinginess, uh, but there are hive off organizations that, uh, you know, take seriously the notion that there is a being called set or Shaitan or Satan, which is again, corruption of a, uh, Hebrew word that simply means adversary, uh, or equivalent terms, um, that, are devoted to the forces of chaos. And they may do it under different uh, uh, prescriptions or, you know, nostrums or doctrines or whatever, but they are... uh, Well, I think I can say it that way. Karanzan is not the correct way of pronouncing the name of the Lord of the Abyss, but to name it is to invoke it, and I choose not to, because I did once early in my magical career in the early 1970s, and I was really out of my class there, and would probably be right now. I'm certainly not testing it. Uh, The Black Lodge as such uh, would look as at Karanzan or Satan or Shaitan, or Yog sothoth uh, or any of the various incarnations including, interesting enough, the demon Ashtaroth who seems to be one of the channels who channels peace and light to, from Ashtar command and everything is going to be fine and Is clearly an aspect of a very ancient Black Lodge tradition, going back at least to Babylon and probably back to Sumer, and maybe beyond that, too. There's some speculation now that uh, the Sumerians arrived uh, from the then disintegrating civilizations in India, and uh, that actually it fits their own mythos of how they began. You know, they came from the sea. And although much later, the Aztecs had the same myth, you know.
0: What, do you think, what about Rene Gunon? He talks a lot about um, kind of these dark points of, you know, these dark groups of people and dark points like the Seven Towers and this kind of stuff. Have you ever... Um, Looked into that kind of stuff before, or, <laughs> in regards to. Oh face.
1: yeah, I, I've read in, uh in translation. My French is uh, high school.
0: Oh yeah, mine's that, not great either. <laughs> Luckily, they've been translated. You can buy them.
1: In, I can English order now. food in Marseille. <laughs> That's about it. Well, he seems but, that he uh, certainly
0: seems to be someone that was sort of telegraphing a Black Lodge type scenario early on as well um again using different terminology but he certainly seems to be someone that was very keyed into that kind of stuff and was um yeah he was an interesting he's someone i've been reading a lot more recently he's kind of an interesting chap very
1: useful information and he was well informed but keep in mind that his politics was neo-fascist and that may not be your cup of tea um, well, not neo fascist. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean that Ezra Pound was a, a bad poet because he spent the World War II with Mussolini. It means he was a good poet with a bad philosophy of life. And I think that would apply to Gennon and a number of other people. I mean, the people that originally started the Brill Society, I don't think they foresaw concentration camps and the And It's just like you, you can maybe stick Wagner with that because he hated Jews and was very verbal about it, along with a lot of really good, stirring music that you could march to and that people do march to. Every year at the, at Bayreuth and the theater he designed. Quite a show. But um, what people need to be aware of is just as there is a good deal of contactee, trans channeling, UFO lore, and the presence and field research of synchronicities which guide uh, really good field investigators like uh, the Newkirks and company, not necessarily where they started out to go, but to really, really interesting places. One can even use the the secret cipher, the Euphanons, uh, against the text of Lieber-Alm. To communicate with the secret chiefs, uh, I don't do that myself, but I, uh, my publisher does, and uh, the outcomes are quite coherent and of the type that, uh, to me, is self-validating. But on the other hand, you have William Dudley Pelley and his. Uh, equivalent of the Hitler youth, uh, the silver shirts. Well, they weren't all that young. A lot of them were ex-Klansmen and all that. But they had thousands of members and they kind of did a spiritual trans-channeling thing on the side. But their main thrust was, to, you know, to promote a Hitlerian philosophy for America. And uh, when america entered the war he got put in the slammer and just like hitler when he got put in the slammer he wrote a book and the book that he wrote i mean what are you going to do when you're in jail and you're a you know a prophet without honor uh so he moves from the silver shirts to what he calls soul craft which is identical to ufo uh new age trance channeling except that what's getting channeled is uh, America shouldn't get involved in the affairs of Europe and blah, 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 blah. And unions are a great sin. They should be opposed, blah, 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 blah. In other words, fascism from outer space, although it's coming from his mouth. And to bring it home, one of his acolytes was George Hunt Williamson. Who also was an acolyte of George Adamski, who I have, on the word of uh, of uh, my late good friend Jim Mosley, uh, was a rabid anti-Semite. I don't know if he bought the rest of uh, fascist ideology, but uh, he did fight for the United States in World War One, which is how he got buried. Uh, with honors at Arlington National Cemetery, which uh, is somewhat unusual for a UFO contactee. <laughs> I think he's the only one. one thing. Uh, Gray, Bark- Gray Barker took a picture of his grave in such a way that all the other graves seem to point <laughs> to George Gransky. The...
0: One thing in the book that really struck me was the you talk about the three black schools, I think it is. Um, Could you talk a bit about those? Because they're kind of... I've heard of one of them because one of them is mentioned in um, Bram Stoker's book in Dracula, isn't it? Um, But the other two are kind of interesting. And what's interesting about them is they all seem to be from folklore, but all seem to say the same thing, don't they? They all seem to have very similar curriculums and uh, myths and kind of... And so that's that kind of piqued my interest a little bit because when you have lots of different myths coming from different places that seem to be saying the same thing there seems to be a well, yeah.
1: <laughs> my one direct contact with the Black Lodge if you want to call it that was with a graduate of one of those schools. I can't tell you which one because I don't know but I do know by the interaction I had with this guy that Well, he could have killed me, but for some reason he wanted to warn me off because shortly after I did the first thing, this is when I was still in the uh, corporate OTO. Um, I had written an article about the Black Lodge because I realized even back then there was a dearth of new information on it and there seemed to be some black lodge things going on around euless lodge number 10 oto incorporated uh and uh i was told by the then lodge master i'll try to do try to do his voice (laughs) well the higher initiates don't talk anymore about the Black Lodge, to which I went,
0: but I do. (laughs) Like a red red rag to a bull. (laughs) Oh, yes.
1: Except I don't go in with my head down. That's the bull's usual mistake. I go in looking for the sword so I can. Get the matador where it hurts the most, in the Cajones, so to speak. This is all metaphorical. <laughs> but um, shortly after that, and at that point, I was a lowly member. I think I was secretary of the lodge. And the official greeter, when new people came in, was an open house all the time at Eulis Lodge. Um It was my job to greet them, invite them to a Gnostic mass, make them feel comfortable despite the fact that everybody in the room was a raving lunatic and drug addict and all. But I wasn't and um, one night, I think we were entertaining Sally Ann Glassman who uh, was at that time, the she's no longer in the OTO either, as far as I know, uh, but, uh, uh, she was the big kahuna in those days in the Southeast, Thought to be maybe even an heir apparent if a woman is ever the heir apparent in the Tia, which is debatable. Um, so there was a very large group of people there, some, uh, some of her lodge members, some onlookers, our membership, which was maybe 100 people at that time. And this guy and his entourage show up in a 19... This is circa 1987, 88, approximately. So this is displaced in time, but he shows up in a hippie van with all of those doodad decorations, flowers and stuff. And the main guy is a dead ringer for Charles Manson. Well, I don't judge a book by its cover, but it seemed to me that that was an affected look so i thought well we get all kinds here we get our share of you know drug dealers and bad people and good people and candidates and idiots and you know we get all kinds it's just if it's walk in and it has the reputation of being Alistair crowley's sex magic organization Woo, woo which is never exactly the case. Um, they used to say sex and drugs and rock and roll to which I said, Oh, there's no rock and roll in the OTO (laughs) or the guy who came in, he's now deceased. So I guess I can mention his name, Joel love and his first time there, he became a, a member. Um, the lodge master and I were sitting and interviewing people, I as the lowly greeter, and the lodge master to determine whether this guy was a good fit. Uh, and the lodge master said, So, what do you hear about our order? The guy was a uh, High level ex Scientologist. He had a drug problem, so they threw him out. Of course, that doesn't disqualify you in the idea. <laughs> It It isn't mandatory, but it's common. So he said, Oh, I've heard that you're kind of the fascist youth. And the lodge master went, Hmm. Well, we're not that young. And I almost fell out of my chair. He was a very, uh, had a very dry sense of humor, uh, which the guy didn't get. Uh, Scientologists have no sense of humor, X or otherwise. And I think ex Scientologists is like an ex member of the Socialist Workers' Party. There's no such thing. They're still selling the, the weekly magazine of the, yeah, the group on street corners when it's raining because you never really get out of a cult. It just doesn't happen. So this guy starts going around, and this will date it pretty closely. He was talking about the upcoming harmonic convergence Y'all can look that up on your internet if the sun doesn't fry it and see when that was. But he was talking about that, and I thought, oh, God, I've been through so many uh, end-of-the-world deals that I'm totally cynical about it. But he's trying to sow this here. I wonder what this guy's motivation is because he was clearly up to something. That was all he was talking about, and I thought, well, maybe he's here. There are two OTO logic. Keep in mind, I was very – I spent 10 years getting into the OTO, and then I spent 10 years getting out of the OTO. It takes a long time, though it's not a cult. Oh, my eye. (laughs) So – um I kind of followed this guy around but never spoke to him or called attention to myself. I wanted to see if he talked to Sally Ann to uh oh well he's still around. Frater Escalari Visionum, aka the master of the lodge. Uh and he talked to everybody with his harmonic convergence thing. So I waited and bided my time. And at the end of the evening, when people were drifting away, uh, I went to the back door of the lodge where I knew his rather flamboyant and archaic hippie van was parked with the other hippies out of, uh, like they walked out of Haight-Ashbury circa 1966. I mean, it was, you know, somebody had read Ken Kesey and brushed up their stuff. So I thought, maybe I can get in one shot here. So as he left, he had to walk past me. And I said, in a very matter-of-fact voice, so... You've been telling people about the harmonic convergence, huh? And he looked at me but didn't say anything and started to get into the driver's seat in the van. Uh, The door was open. So before he could close the door, I said, of course, your day of reckoning will be April 14th, 1997. Now, I pulled. that wasn't the date that I pulled out of my uh, instrumentum, but it was a random date meant to do something, and it did. He had one foot in the van and one foot out, and he stopped, and he looked back at me, and I saw fear on his face. And I thought, I scored a point with somebody that clearly had very dark intentions. And they drive off and I thought, well, I'll never see him again because clearly he's making the rounds. He may show up at William Blake Oasis or something. You know, I didn't give it any more thought. Fast forward to the following summer. And as a group, I mean, the local Neo-Pagan groups, particularly the Wiccan groups, And the OTO did not get along all that well in that time period. But there was something I had a little bit to do with it called the uh, spiral gathering, which went on for years and years. Not to be confused with the spiral gathering in Britain, which I think still goes on or did for many years after that. It was held every year in the summer at, hard labor creek state park georgia so strange name for a park well probably because at one time it was a place that they took chain gangs to uh i mean that's history of georgia 101 and um, that was not so far back that i don't remember the tail end of that period um So somebody from the organizing committee invited us to do a Gnostic mass publicly there. Well, we had that thing, and I'm sure people who are members of the largest branch of the OTO, the ex-OTO, the and me and lots of other semi-enlightened beings, um, a Gnostic Mass has, has one of its requirements that you take communion at the Mass. And since this was a an event that drew several hundred people, uh, that was beyond our capacity at that point. So we worked out something, probably uh, the Lodge Master called one of the... Higher ups, probably uh, Breeze. And uh, I'm just guessing this because I wasn't on the inside at that point. And somehow or other we got the okay. Or alternately, the Lodge Master simply, that, this was in the day when there weren't a lot of OTO bodies. So each one was a kind of a barony. And the structure of the OTO on paper was centralized, but the structure in actuality in those days was uh, feudal in nature. And the local baron basically uh, was in charge and it was very rare if ever that you got a visit from you know, an inspector general of whom there may have been five in the country. There were none in the Southeast. Uh, I was the first, and the late Jim Wasserman was the second. And one of my students is now the Sovereign Grand Inspector General and Most Wise Sovereign of the Rose Croix chapter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, what we worked out was we would perform a Celebratory mass, where people could just watch, and only the members of the lodge would actually participate in it. But we always did a non-barbarous country mass, hundred percent of the time, except once Jim Wasserman visited, and he kept the priestess, you know, uh, clothed not as the as the heavens, but like as the heavens covered up with, uh, Elon Musk's satellites. Um, so we did that. And then we invited people who wanted to take communion to come to a closed mass in one of the buildings on the property down there at hard labor Creek state park. And, uh, At some point during the weekend, I see that guy, you know, Charlie Manson, three or two or whatever. And I had already established that Manson hadn't escaped, you know, (laughs) because after I saw him, I thought, this is too close, you know, so maybe, maybe the guy got out. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time he had come to an OTO lodge, uh, So uh, talk about black lodges. Uh, In any case, um, I was cautious, and I thought, well, most of the members of my lodge, the only one in the southeast, east of the Mississippi River at that time, and quite successful in terms of recruiting people, if you want to call that successful. Everybody else here is from some uh, Wiccan or other neo-pagan groups, except for Bill Siebert and his little group of uh, people that Grant has ex- had expelled from his version of the OTO. Uh, they were there and they were having very little to do with us. So, so they were sort of, you know, visitors from far away. Uh, we'll just see what this guy is here to do. Because something is going to happen that will validate. At that time, I would not have used the term synchronicities to validate, but I do now. If you think something is going on that is outré and high strangeness, and then a series of synchronicities happen. I regard that as the moral equivalent of the secret chiefs whispering in your ear, follow the synchronicities. You will be well rewarded. We promise. Would we lie to you? Yeah, but, you know, it's not. (laughs) So anyway, uh, we had a common dining area. Siebert and his group would not sit at the table with uh, the corporate OTO people, because we did the will thing, and he would not do will with us because because he was a purist of the Grant school. And actually, I have, as time has gone on, I have more in common with them than I have with the corporation. But let be that as it may. Uh, being a snob is not good ever. So the guy is at the dinner, so I make sure I'm not sitting anywhere near him and that he doesn't get near any of the food that I'm eating. And at some point, he hits a gong or something, he and his associates, and says, okay, we're doing a, uh, a lottery, a sweepstakes everyone who wants to participate can put a dollar and their name in Uh, you give him a dollar and he gives you uh, uh, a piece of paper to write your name on and at the end of on the last day or the day before the last day of the event he would draw one name and the person whose name got drawn would have a naked slave bring them a uh bring them breakfast in bed as a reward and the money that we have accumulated and here's the key will go to a cleanup of mount arabia now mount arabia in those days especially was a practically unknown location even people who lived around it didn't know it was there but i had been going there since i was uh in the in primary school i mean we went on a field trip i was stuck on the place so i kept going back we formed a a group in the early 1980s that was dedicated to doing the vision quests recommended by carlos Castaneda. Uh, we did our inaugural dinner at the Don Juan restaurant. How appropriate can you get? We had many adventures on the mountain because in those days, nobody cared. Nobody was out there. Some locals, we always went at night and stayed all night and lit a bonfire at the peak. It was safe enough. Mount Arabia has very, very little uh, in the way of trees or anything of that sort. It's a bald monadnock which is you know just a a huge rock that bubbled up from the earth several billion years ago uh, there's an interesting side story there that uh, some locals decided that since we were there on solstices and equinoxes it must be that the satanists are coming up the mountain and after a couple of years we decided to chase i think i've told you this story before but we yeah we decided to chase the satanists and there weren't any satanists it was us apparently all the local people in Conyers, georgia and a lot of very famous people came out of that little hick town Uh, a lot of sports people and show business people but uh, anyway it was still in those days a rather rural place atlanta has eaten it since long since Uh, but years later after the uh, Castagnata group uh, i assembled several groups to come up to arabia mountain to my particular power spot to empower people with all of the empowerments That I held, which is considerable because I don't I don't want to fall into that trap of being, you know, somebody who wants people under me. I want everyone to have who wants it to have every empowerment that I have. Of course, empowerments are not knowledge, and the two should go together, and I can't. But we did have talks there. But other than one obscure person uh i believe her name is shasta zarang if she's still around ever went out to mount arabia as a spiritual location there were nature hikes during the day and things but it was just little known and the nature of the mountain is such that because it is now uh all rock and no trees the silt from what was undoubtedly a a tree cover has all gone down to the rim around this uh, double dome rock and trees have grown there and if you don't know this mountain is there you cannot see it from any of the roads around it so it was an unknown location So I'm sitting there and I hear that. And I thought, boy, he heard me that night because of all the places he could pick, he picks an obscure location that is obscure to everybody here except me and people that I've taken there, uh, of whom at that point, there were not many. And if I'm right, there's only one person that's going to win this contest. And that's me. And, oh, I would guess there were a hundred people that entered and the big theatrical drawing and congratulations. Oh, what a surprise. He drew my name out of the bowl, whatever. And I thought, uh huh. Well, it happened that my soon-to-be ex-wife was among the people that were, uh, in the uh, building that uh, the O.T.O. lodge had taken. Uh, so I thought, well, uh, she was soon to be my ex-wife, but I really uh, didn't want her to be my ex-wife. I wanted her to. Stay around. She was uh, my great love of that period. Um, And a naked slave is going to serve me breakfast. Among other things, I don't eat breakfast, but we'll see what shows up. So sure enough, a naked girl shows up and tries to serve me a breakfast of Uh, something like ham and eggs. I don't eat eggs. I'm Jewish. I don't eat ham. And also I didn't need uh, a naked strange girl who turned out to be one of Bill Siebert's uh, acolytes. Uh, uh, I said, why don't you give it to my uh, fellow members of Euless Lodge? So she did. So I said, ha, I foiled him again. And I really thought I had. I was feeling cocky. So on the last day, I'm going to the dining hall or the meeting hall. I don't know what it was being used for that day. And in front of where I had to go past is the guy. And I thought, well, he's going to say some smart-ass thing to me. Or maybe he's going to pull a pistol out or whatever. I don't know. what the hell, I'll be a martyr to the cause and my name will be emblazoned forever. Uh, uh, And I approached him and he holds out his hand and being a Southern gentleman, (laughs) I shook his hand and immediately thought, Christ, Lucretia Borgia, he had one of those rings with a, a prick thing on the inside. And he pressed it against me, and I thought, God, I'm dead. I don't know how soon, because I don't know what he use, but I'm dead. And he just smirked and then disappeared. I never saw him again, ever. And I went inside and ate and waited and waited, but there was, it was a dummy. It was not loaded. There's no poison on it (laughs) or the secret chiefs intervened on my behalf, unlikely, (laughs) and neutralized the poison. I don't know, but uh, the most likely thing is it was saying, we know what you do are doing talking about the Black Lodge, and we want you to know we can get you anytime we want to, which did not deter me, but it did uh, chasten me to be very careful about routine mocking of somebody. The truth is, if I've ever seen anybody else, and by the way, this guy could not have been In the Black Lodge, but one of the things we discuss in the book, not in as much detail as I would like, but there's always room for another book, right? Uh, If not that, then maybe a long essay. Um, Some things are difficult to. uh, Categorize. Let's let's uh, let me back up a little bit here. The Black Lodge operates not nearly as roundabout as the Secret Chiefs. They're straightforward, but they, as far as I'm aware, once they have become actually initiates of the black lodge they cease to be corporeal humans just as the secret chiefs do but going back to my acquaintance with richard shaver early in my ufology career uh, i think what he said of the Dero, which was his you know his take on the black lodge um applies because he always maintained that they employed uh dark-sided people and when he said employed he meant employed as in members of uh paramilitary organizations uh of the uh play for pay community uh members of the mafia and local equivalents, triads in China, and so forth. They employ people to do their will, some of which involves killing, some of which involves kidnapping, and some of which involves setting off wars. Uh, The classic example of that particular sort of thing were the – German military that crossed into Poland ahead of the invasion, wearing Polish uniforms, shot a few shots in the air from that side at the German lines, which, of course, had photographers. They photographed everything, which they later came somewhat to regret, but, um, and then they had an excuse for invading Poland, but they act sort of like that in a lot of situations um you can't blame them for everything there's a lot of bad stuff in the world there's a lot of good stuff too and they don't like the good stuff and they will intervene when it's in their interest to do so and they seem to kidnap a lot of people of course uh uh, dick shaver said uh that the Dero, the Black Lodge uh, forces, which I would say are probably not the Black Lodges we experience it, but the same type of beings, probably in other realities, uh, other membranes, uh, uh, in keeping with. Uh, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is one of the wrinkles that I realized was missing from my original insight because I was caught up in the BSRF uh, uh, version, which was always other dimensions. I, what the hell is another dimension? It could be, you know, literally another dimension. Uh, anyone who's read... Uh, Uh, Edwin Abbott's book uh, on Flatland uh, knows the notion of there literally being other dimensions beyond the ones that we're capable of seeing, and therefore there may be entrances to those other dimensions. And that was in uh, around 1900, I think, that he wrote that, so way ahead of the times. But I think that they may want slaves or they may eat human beings or some other purpose that I just don't have a clue as to because I've never been able to figure whether those people who are picked up are random opportunities or are a selected group for some particular qualities. It doesn't help that there's. it's a lot of trouble just to find databases that show worldwide annual disappearances without a trace. Now, without a trace, I define as they never show up again, and there is no easy rational explanation. I don't think Elvis got abducted, I think he died, reading Jitterbug Perfume in the bath, which, you know, (laughs) let's face it, that's probably not the termination that people wanted for the king of rock and roll. So um, there are rumors, you know, that his tomb is empty, that he faked his own death, And I, at one point, was very offended, even though I am not a Christian, I was very offended by the fact that there have been more reported post-mortem sightings of Elvis than there have been of Jesus, according to the New Testament.
0: I'm going to pull you back because um, we didn't actually talk about the black schools. Because there's the three black schools, but we didn't seem to actually talk about them. (laughs) Well,
1: like I said, this this guy was a product of one of those schools. Um, They seem to be funded by the Black Lodge with the purpose of finding people, mostly in Europe, to be fair, I don't know that there is any equivalent on uh, in North or South America and certainly not in Australia. There are no Black Lodge in Australia, but Australian wines, never mind. Uh, they take promising people who have that certain something that they are, driven people who want to advance in spirituality, but have, and they're good at spotting this, it's their own modus operandi, a lust for power. And they feel that if they enter into one of their schools, which are distinct from one another, I think we make that clear in the book, that At the end of their journey there, they will commit themselves to the Black Lodge or whatever term they choose to use. You know, we're committed to the Lord of the Abyss. We're committed to Satan. We're committed to whatever. And there must have been defectors from each of these schools because they were up to a certain point in history completely unknown to one another by design, I think. Um, you get a clue from that if you can get a hold of the Royal Masonic Cyclopedia written in the 1870s, because it talks about the, uh, the secret chief's equivalent of school for promising young Magi, but, um, and where they meet and when they meet, I mean, it was just, you know, overt, um it seems that the purpose was to raise their magical level but also to bring them into league with their purposes so that when they attain to whatever degree they attain to uh, which is considerable they will want to become for lack of a better term tapped By the Black Lodge. The word tap is from the campus notorious group Skull and Bones, which uh, has its own fairly bad reputation, but also has a lot of important people that have passed through their crypt.
0: Do you think the Clavis Inferni is one is the output of one of these schools, or do you think? Um...
1: No, no. I think that's from a defector. I mean, uh, I kind of wish we had uh, sort of had our own translation done and put, but there's so many other things. I mean, this book is already 300 and some odd pages long, which is the longest book I've been associated with. I believe in the the sudden school that is uh, in my Thelemic days, I thought, ah, Liber Al is the perfect holy book for the new Eon. Because people have only a short attention span, and it's a very short book. You can read the whole thing at a single sitting. So uh, I try to stay right on point. But this book was impossible to write in less than we did and would have involved. It would have been a 600-page book to include all of the various strands including some translations that I really would have liked to have done. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have, my Latin isn't good enough to, uh, you know. And also, handwritten old manuscripts, and I have elderly eyes. It's, <laughs> it's a task there. Yeah. I would have to defer to somebody else, and then I would have to, be satisfied that they were a sufficient scholar. I mean, we don't have a lot of people like uh, MacGregor um, Mathers now who were deeply involved in the occult, but also uh, had uh, classical leanings. It's and- like the,
0: Book Sun- the Book of the Book of the Son of Knowledge has only just been translated, hasn't it? <laughs> and that's been around forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's yeah, it's. Um, one thing that really struck me when I was reading the book was there seemed to be a lot of similarities between these three schools and the Black Lodge and the Order of Nine Angles. They seem they to, especially, yeah, they seem to, that if ever there was a group that I would point the finger at and say, well, there's a, there's a product of the Black Lodge, it would be those guys, <laughs> I
1: think. Well, we do say they're a product of the Black Lodge. I mean because they're mostly dead now by their own hands or whatever. Uh, I'm not even sure that Jim Jones was not a product of the Black Lodge. Uh, I'm not even sure that the leadership of a certain Middle Eastern organization that has recently been in the headlines is not a front, for the Black Lodge. And I say that because their charter says things like, We will ban all Masonic organizations and the Rotary Club. To which I said, The Rotary Club? I mean, WTF, what are you people thinking? Where are you coming from? But, you know, I'm not going to engage in an intellectual disputation with people that I guess I would have to behead <laughs> much as I would hate to. You know. One thing you say in the book is um,
0: the, the Black Lodge are opposed to certain things um, and they have, they have a sort of equal, um, you know, as, as all things we, we, you know, when you talk in, especially in magical terms, there's always a, you know, an equal opposite kind of, uh, so who are the equal opposite to the uh, the Black Lodge? I'm assuming the White Lodge of, of some sort, but who would you...
1: Well, I, I try to avoid, I mean, I would avoid the term Black Lodge because today it has a racial connotation that isn't there. may have been for Blavatsky, but uh, not for anybody else. Uh, and the, the term that was bandied around in theosophical loosely defined theosophical circles of the Great White Brotherhood. That sounds like the Ku Klux Klan. I really think that term needs to be uh, quietly uh, retired. I will recognize the term, and if somebody uses it, I'm not going to think you know, that they're talking about the KKK, but uh, uh, I think it would be better to refer to it as the Masters or the Secret Chiefs or the Ascended Masters or the Mahatmas. There are so many terms you can use. Why use something that is going with certain people? It's going to be a trigger. Uh, Yeah, yeah, trigger and uh, offensive to some and hurtful to, to others who don't get it. But I thought, well, a lot of people certainly understand the concept black magic and black magicians and it doesn't mean people of you know afro-american descent it means people who practice a dark version of magic and they come in every race creed color and national origin unfortunately um so uh, i don't know where were you going with that uh yes they are the same thing and the group that i mentioned that didn't get into the book, um, a kind of death cult that started and probably started in France. It has that earmark, but it migrated to Switzerland where they all committed suicide. And the ones that still survived were in French Canada and they committed suicide. So they're gone now, but clearly they were being led down the garden path one degree at a time by the Black Lodge. Is
0: that the solar temple? Directly.
1: Yeah. And I think it's not an accident that they're called that because, like I was saying, and I think we established that in the book, even the rumors about the Mount Palomar Observatory on off nights is, there's fairly good evidence there that there were some people there dabbling in Uh, we'll call it Be Charitable Pseudo-OTO Rituals, trying to, well, Wicca talks about, my late friend Margot Adler talked about drawing down the moon. They want to draw down the sun. And the primary mover and shaker there uh, uh, was fixated on solar observations. And he was getting his ideas from his friend, the elf. He wasn't kidding or being metaphorical. He was, uh, I think he actually did a stint in a psychiatric facility, but he was the founder of a number of observatories. One would wonder why, but I think some of the, as technology has advanced, that only an advanced adept would have known when Mount Palomar was set up, which was, I don't know, uh, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, uh, they would anticipate that we would be vulnerable in 21st century terms to uh, certain solar events that certainly would have been, well, at the time of the Carrington event, the only thing that was affected were Telegraph keys. They blew up. That was all there was, and that was the 1850s. We have a lot more stake in the uh, technological, electro, you know, the whole electronic uh, universe that is very central, uh, I would say, in Western civilization, but I'd venture to say all over the world now. So that's where.
0: Yeah. I think one thing I found interesting that I didn't actually know about was the Malcolm X man in black thing. That was um, fascinating. Do you? Uh, and I think the, this idea that the Men in black is somehow connected to the Black Lodge as well. That was an interesting section of the book. So could we talk a little bit about that maybe um, sort of the, in particular the Malcolm X story which I found fascinating.
1: <laughs> well it the the point I was making there because I I have mixed feelings about IWAS as either a metaphor or exactly what Crowley claimed a Prater human intelligence, i.e., a secret chief. Uh, or a being of the Black Lodge, introducing ideas that uh, one of the spinoffs was Crowley and his immediate following, not so much now, were anticipating the ultimate cataclysm to uh, the old eon, as they call it, so that the neon could, new eon could be born in fire and blood, which you don't hear a lot of that around... The Gnostic mass. <laughs> and nor do you hear it in private, even at the highest levels. There, I mean, yeah. As much as I disagree with those people, I don't think that they're, uh, you know, looking for a nuclear war or anything even remotely resembling that. But that was certainly something that could be true. Okay, the description that Crowley gave of Iwas in Well, he says 1904, Um, we're talking about April 8th, 9th and 10th, but the working, the Cairo working started the same day my father was born, make of that what you will, (laughs) (laughs) exactly the same day, same year, same, but halfway around the world in Baltimore during the Baltimore fire. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and born in a red light district, too. And my grandfather owned a saloon next door to a house of ill fame. It, it, it fits in with <laughs> the 1904 thing, but uh, I am of a mind that uh, Akkad, who, when he was in with Crowley, was really in with him. Crowley told him it was on April 1st that all three chapters were channeled. And uh, I don't know. But it does seem very interesting that despite the really good film, Malcolm X, the description that Malcolm X uh, gave in the autobiography, which Alex Haley wrote with Malcolm X, you know, dictating from memory, uh, describes a being that seemed the same as the being that Crowley described as he looked out of the corner of his eye while writing the Book of the Law. Now, that could be an endorsement of... Crowley as a prophet, it could also be an uh, appropriate as Malcolm X as a prophet, or neither one. But it does seem to be a very, very odd coincidence, given the fact that I don't believe there are any coincidences. There are lots and lots of synchronicities, minor and major, but they all matter just like uh, I often refer to the Fibonacci sequence. It's in your bathtub and it's in galaxies. It's it's just fundamental to the components of the universe, the zero point field as uh, it has been referred to. It's just that universal interconnectedness and things get pulled out of that. So I think the key to evaluating whether it's stuff that's good or stuff that's not good is what effect does it have? What effect is it likely to have? And, you know, that's, that's where we have to focus. I think.
0: So do you think Bender also encountered the similar thing when he was born? No. No,
1: no, 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 no. I think, uh, Bender before, first of all, Bender, I am the first to say it as far as I know, was a magician. I didn't know it for many years because I'd never seen the photos that Gray Barker took of the Chamber of Horrors. I thought it was a bunch of Halloween decorations and that Bender was a slightly eccentric Person interested in science fiction and flying saucers who got in over his head. That was my version. And when I look at the photos of his room, I realized this is early 1950s and he has what is clearly an altar for conducting magic. And when you look at the incident that he describes with the men in black, It has more affinity with medieval conjurations of the man in black, sometimes thought to be the devil, um, than it does with a lot of men in black cases. They come when he figures something out. They tell him a frequency you can tune in on your radio to communicate from them. And they give him a talisman, a summoning object with the name Kaik. But somehow he knows that it's spelled K-A-C-I-K. I I think they may have spelled it out for him. And that just is never made clear. Um, Some people think, well, Bender is just a product of the Gray Barker spin machine. No, Bender was... uh, a D-Day veteran of World War II. Uh, after he got scared away from ufology, he moved to the West Coast. Did not talk about that stuff, except maybe with a couple of his old friends. became a uh, patron of the arts and was considered at the time of his death a few years ago as that a patron of the arts, barely a mention of his uh, his three men in black incident. No, I think he invoked, and when you invoke, and the level of magical knowledge in the early nineteen fifties in the United States was not zero, but pretty close to zero. I mean. <clears throat> you could still find intact copies of the original edition of the Equinox available from the Samuel Weiser bookstore in New York for $100. You know what that would sell for today? Oh, yeah. Not $100. No,
0: I was looking at one the other day. Um, I think Watkins have a, I think it's a first edition, but they were selling that for, I think, four grand. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's not
1: cheap. <laughs> Uh, even the edition that they got out in the 70s, which is what where I got it, um, uh, probably fetches a very high price now because it was a one-time thing and it was bound the way the original was and so forth. Crowley basically spent the last of his inheritance on getting out the Equinox. Um,
0: I was often thinking if I could, had a time machine, I could go back, because I used to see Crowley books that are worth fortune now for nothing back in the day you know like, like back in the late 80s early 90s i remember i'd see all sorts of crowley books or like occult books that are now fetch insane amounts of money and i wish i could just go back whisper in my ear like a secret chief and say buy that keep that in really good condition <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i patronized uh um haslam's bookstore in saint petersburg florida not the one in Russia. They—they're <laughs> probably listening to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Read my lips, <laughs> um, and and uh, Samuel Weiser, because there was nothing local. If you went way out into the suburbs, there was a store that sold astrology books. That was it. The occult was. Not there. There were no current books and there were no used bookstores. Pretty much now, the same in England no now. I mean,
0: we've only got a few left. Well, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, well, I, I think the day of paper books is unfortunately coming to a close. Uh, it won't be quick because it's not that difficult to, uh, uh, to, to print a book now. um, It's not like back in the day when I was putting out my little newsletters on a mimeograph machine. You had to do the whole thing from composing, putting it on a stencil, putting the stencil on this messy machine, pouring ink into it, which invariably got on the carpet, which would get my mother to yell at me. (laughs) And then, Turning the machine manually one copy at a time, and then collating the pages around the dining room table, stapling it, or on a rare occasion saddle stitching it. And that's folding it over and uh, and then getting it out to if you're really really popular, two or three hundred people.
0: That's now, actually, that's interesting because d- that's. One of the pe- we were talking about this before, but w- one of the people that did that and who I think may have been a victim of the Black Lodge, in some form or another, was Jim Keith. Like his original book, um, his original version of um, is it UFOs of the Illuminati? I think it's called. Uh, he originally self-published that, didn't he? And that was very much done in the way you're saying. Oh no,
1: no, 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 not exactly. He went to Ron Bonds, uh, who had originally. Ben, he had a BBS, if you know what that was. Oh yeah, actually, still is, Um, but only in Taiwan. I understand (laughs) it's still popular. Why I don't know, but uh, you know, it was before the internet was accessible to most folks. Uh, I mean, military and uh, universities had an- access to the ARPANET and the early internet, but uh, which I did, but uh, most people did not. Uh, and interestingly enough, Volet did. He had a lot to do with inventing it, in fact, uh, although there's no there's still one a few inventor.
0: There's still a few around. Um, there's uh, Usenet, especially, uh, not Usenet, what's it called? Telnet telnet still there's still there's still ufo communities but there's a one i've been a member of since i oh got like 20 years SDF i think it's called and they still have ufo communities active ufo communities that just don't want to use the web <laughs> I, think, I don't blame them in some ways actually but but yeah no it's uh because i've got the this is the current version of i'm reading it again at the moment of keith's book but there's there's a story behind this and um I think it links. Who put
1: that out, if I may ask? This Who...
0: version is by Adventures Unlimited Press. More power to them. Yeah, um, but this book, I think, has a link to this book. and um,
1: uh... Oh, yes, it should. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is in the same general direction. Now, I don't know that I had any influence on Jim Keith at that time, but I did read the book, as I told you before the program, Uh, uh, in manuscript, well, in galley proofs, courtesy of Ron Bonds, who by then, the BBS had morphed into Illuminate Press, which was a catch-all for conspiracy theories, UFOs, had a really good stable of writers, uh, quite a few of whom came to a bad end for one reason or another but you know as far as i know george andrews is still around and as far as i know i'm still around (laughs) and if not you're doing a hell of a job channeling me
0: it's (laughs) exhausting
1: (laughs) next week's guest is timothy green beckley (laughs) coming to you from the place he deserves to be
0: (laughs) Yeah. I
1: thought about doing a live seance for Beckley because I knew him well enough that I would know if it were him or not him. Um, I mean, I knew him from the time we were both about 14, you know, members of the teen ufology movement. Yeah. The creation of,
0: but of
1: uh, Ray Palmer.
0: Because the Illuminate Press they put out Keith's book, didn't they originally?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so- And it was it was Bonds who sent me the advanced thing. I think that was because at that time my my own book was in uh, pre-production, and uh, I guess he wanted me to see what else he was doing with flying saucers. And I read it, and I thought, well, this is on the same page as I am. But there are certain things. He doesn't seem to be somebody who's spent a lot of time in ufology. And it shows maybe I should write him a polite letter and say, well, this wasn't such and such a way. This was another way. And I don't even remember what those were. But uh, when the, the book appeared in finished form, it was a better book. And I don't know whether I had anything to do with that or whether it was just that he, you know, uh, I I don't want first drafts published either, (laughs) (laughs) which is what you get when you get these old newsletters of mine that have been seemingly reprinted. And for all I know, somebody's making money on them. Like the non-book, the book on Wicca, that I never wrote that's out there in two or three different editions. Uh, but uh, saw the other day I'm Watkins. glad to see
0: it. I saw it literally the other day in Watkins' books in London. Um, and I was like, hang on a minute. Didn't he say he didn't write that? <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: yeah. no, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I haven't ever even seen it. So I don't know how close it is to essays that I did write, how much is added to it. How much is from other sources? I don't know. Uh, the, the things that I wrote are fine. Uh, if somebody had asked me, my current publisher, the first uh, uh, connection we had with them was I got a letter saying, would you like to have a reissue of a combined edition of Secret Cipher? And I thought, people aren't gonna buy that now. Okay, let them do it. Because he offered me a very generous uh, arrangement, and they published it, and then Hellier happened, <laughs> and then the avalanche, <laughs> and that has that has continued. So, as I say, I went from being almost obscure to being almost famous. <laughs> <laughs> going
0: back to the Jim Keefe thing, I think because um, I think there's there's an interesting story here definitely and i think we should uh, especially about what happened to jim keith and illuminate press um, i think that feels that feels like a, uh, a subject that hasn't been covered properly yet you know maybe we could shed some light on it a little bit
1: well the the reason it hasn't been covered although you will note that uh, uh, secrets of the real black lodge revealed current book, is dedicated to the memory of Jim Keith, a martyr to the cause, which is, I genuinely think that is the case. Uh, Jim uh, uh, assembled a diverse but very talented group of writers on conspiracy theories ranging from Jim Keith's books, the gemstones, actually you could say Jim Keith's range of interests coincided with the whole range of interests of Illuminate Press. And because it, was, it came out of the BBS world, uh, it was well informed from the start. And it was also operated, it was small press, obviously, but it operated like the biggest publishers in the world contracts, specified royalties, specified advanced copies for the the author, uh, royalties paid on time. Uh, That's in the small press universe. I have been uh, burned more than once. Uh, Fortunately, all of my books, including the one I didn't write, are in print now from my current publisher. So I don't know if anybody else is churning them out. Most of them are copyrighted now. Not that I could afford to sue anybody, you know? So, uh, I mean, that's academic and people know it. And, you know, uh, really it's a compliment to my work. I'd rather somebody be publishing this stuff even if I don't make a nickel on it. than it not be published at all. So you know, with all my complaining about this early stuff uh, being found and up on the internet, and somebody will get the idea of collecting it into a uh, an anthology and publishing it. And I probably won't get a penny for it, but I'm glad to see it out there. Uh, you know, I've I toiled away in the salt mines of. Uh, oh, fanzines, we'll call them, for lack of a better term, for 40 years, from 1961 until I finally gave it up around 1995 with the last thing that I published of that sort, the para-ufologist, which is where I developed the term to distinguish me from the nuts and bolts ufologists, because I'm definitely a para-ufologist. Um, and then... The internet came along, it was easy, and I could reach thousands uh, practically forever. So who knows how many people you're reaching. Um, And without all of the mess and effort and unappreciated stuff that you get with fanzines, where basically you know everybody that, uh, contributes Now, the irony is, I mean, I was in a, uh, what was called an APA scene, which is you, uh, amateur press association. You do your little newsletter and you attach it to these other newsletters and mail it on to the next person and maybe 10, 12 people. Well, um, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who was, you know, a friend of mine, um, His introduction to the world of the esoteric, uh, to the esoteric world, was the Illuminatus trilogy. And the guy he wrote it with was a member of that same APA that I was a member of. So, you know,
0: he's a, yeah.
1: Yeah, Shay. I don't know if he's still around or, you know, what the deal is there. He was uh, more a libertarian, and I was more. An anarchist, an anarchist mystic, which is to some extent still who I am.
0: Yeah.
1: But, uh, but yeah, as I which I try not. To, yeah, I try not to do politics because I learned my lesson on Facebook with politics. <laughs> Every few years, people get their blood up and want to say unkind things and are not. Engaging in civilized discourse, they're engaging in mudslinging, and I don't. I don't care. I don't stoop to that level. Uh, I have what used to be called Southern dueling uh, ethics, which goes this way: it was uh, you are courteous to a fault until you reach a certain point at which you slap them on the face (laughs) with your glove and you say, get your seconds and meet me at dawn, the weapon of your choice. (laughs) I demand Uh, satisfaction. It's not, (laughs) (laughs) oh, you don't even have to say that.
0: But But, yeah, let's go back to Illuminate Press um, and kind of what happened there, because I think like, like I said, it's definitely something we should, we should cover. (laughs)
1: Well, I can't get too close to what happened because the principal people are dead. And those people most closely associated with them don't seem to want to talk about it. So you get conflicting stories about Carrie Thornley. He fell off a ledge that he died in hospital from... Uh, some liver disease Uh, I never knew him to drink so he was an Atlanta street person and as far as I was aware lived with his mother when he wasn't distributing leaflets on the permanent universal rent strike and writing discordian books well he was I did get to interview him at the lodge and he was a trip and a half. I wish I had held on to that, but I gave the tapes of the interview to another writer. I can't even remember who got it, who uh, offered to transcribe them. They would be no good to me now anyway, because they were on cassettes and I don't have anything that a play a cassette (laughs) anymore. Um, But he transcribed it and it became a book and the book appeared on the internet for a while and I went to find it and it's not there anymore. But it was basically Carrie Thornley at his Cary Thornley best. I wish I could find it again. Uh, he was a little bit afraid walking into an OTO lodge even though he knew me. Uh, but and he was hard to keep on subject. He liked to talk about uh, conspiracies that were not particularly of an interest to me. But he did say he thought he would have been killed were he not protected by the uh, basically the Swiss Guard. Um, and I find out there is a group called the Switzers who have an American branch. Whether they are actually you know tied to the papal Swiss Guard or whether they're as was traditional in Switzerland mercenaries who hire out or, you know or just imitators. Um, Carry thought he was protected. And uh, when we were going to put a list of the people who had died under mysterious circumstances and it wound up not getting into the book, uh, except, you know, sort of as a tangent, briefly mentioned, um, the rule I established was they had to be under fifty, and there had to be something mysterious about their death. The younger they were, the more scrutiny it deserved. If they were over fifty and had died under particularly, uh, you know, mysterious circumstances, then you would consider it. But you begin to run into mortality there, uh, normal mortality, if you call that more normal. So, um, we just didn't get that in the book. And the truth is I can only tell you what is general knowledge that Illuminate Press was basically a one-man operation by Ron Bonds. Ron was a young man who had been at it from the BBS and then with Illuminate Press for quite a long time. He gave me my first break as an author. Up until then, I had written a lot, so I was a writer, but I was not an author. I had no books to my credit, and I offered Ron my autobiography. Because I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things. And he looked me up and down and said, you're not famous. So I'm downcast. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but the section you have on this UFO thing with the cipher stuff, if you were to flesh that out into a book, I'd publish it. And that was my first sale, my first publication. And uh, he gave me my my break as an author, and that will always be appreciated. Uh, But he also gave Jim Keith and uh, Carrie Thornley and George Andrews and uh, quite a few others who would never, ever get anything published in the mainstream, and who otherwise, like Kerry could get published in any of the crazy ultra-right-wing Lumponics comes to mind. He did have an edition of the uh, Principia Discordia uh, in print there at one time, but uh, Ron had a balanced view of these things. As far as I can tell, he wasn't a, you know, dyed in the wool conspiracy person. And I had, you know, interacted with him. I wouldn't say that I knew him like as a, I think we maybe socialized twice, you know, but we were, lived in the same town. We were both interested in the same thing. So we, you know, we were uh, working acquaintances, I guess you would say. But apparently his wife, after he died under very very mysterious circumstances and that's what
0: we need to talk about at some point but yeah
1: that's yeah. mm. where i'm going yeah. <laughs> i mean you don't get the context yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like you know I, i've seen lists of ufologists who died mm. and that doesn't give you any context at all this man was a key player in getting out books on UFOs and related matters and had an open-ended, non-kooky approach to it. He went to dinner with his wife. I'm not going to name the restaurant, but it was at a Mexican restaurant, uh, one that I've eaten at many times. Shortly, uh, he and his wife, as I understand it, had the same dinner. There were many other people in the restaurant nobody else got sick so that sort of eliminates uh food poisoning yeah and uncharacteristic of a food poisoning death he was dead by morning had dinner there we'll say at 8 p.m what would that be in metric time i (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, that's the only war that I'm in that I'm sure I will lose, <laughs> but I just don't like the metric system. Um, I don't like it being universal. I think it's fine for continental Europe. I wish Britain would stay out of that. Um, and Americans have no idea what you're talking about if you say it's unless you're in the military. The military is integrated into NATO, so. Uh, a two-two-three rifle is a five-five-six because that's millimeters, and everybody else understands it. And Americans don't have to understand it if they know how to load it, you know. So it's the same gun.
0: <laughs> Keith also died in an interesting way, as well, didn't he? And this is kind yes. of this is kind of what I'm kind of sort of getting at a little bit where when I was holding up the two books because they seem. Like we should probably because we were talking about this earlier as well before the show is that I my belief at least is with conspiracy theory and conspiracy culture is that it goes in a circular like every culture, it goes in a sort of circular manner in terms of its you know, um light and darkness, which we shall say. You know, you can say the same about music or, you know, um political thought or whatever. It's it feels like conspiracy theory <clears throat> has reached a very dark apex at the moment but the kind of conspiracy that Jim Keith was writing was at a time when it was more of a subculture and more of a um it, it was almost left-wing rather than right-wing it was anti-government it was anti you know it wasn't aligned with a Trump or anything like that it was it was a subculture and it was um trying to expose almost levels of high strangeness with conspiracy rather than
1: oh yes yeah. that's quite true and I think that was generally true of of the entire group of people that assembled around Ron Bonds, mm-hmm. including Jim Keith. I never saw, uh, you know, I don't associate with being Jewish. I don't associate with people who are anti-Semitic or who buy into, on 9-11, all the Jews left the building. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> the first thing that, bought it was Cantor fitzgerald at the top of the world trade center and they had no chance of escaping Basically illuminati,
0: the, whole- the, the phrase illuminati had a different meaning because that sort of became very dark and well it was always dark but they became very it became kind of more associated with like the world economic forum and the bilderberg group but before that it was they were almost they were the black lodge weren't they i mean they were they were a shadowy almost to human group. The, 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 the Illuminati that Jim Keefe was explaining was very exactly. different. To, yeah, yeah, it was very different to the Illuminati that QAnon were ex- explaining, for example, that okay. there are two very different Illuminatis in my mind. But
1: OK, Jim wrote standard conspiracy stuff for quite some time. But you are correct about the era that he wrote them in. Uh, Jim has been gone for some years and his major writing period is, uh, pretty much the same as mine, you know, so, uh, where books are concerned, I don't know if he did, you know, articles or something, um, like gemstone files and things that focus on the JFK assassination thing. That was strictly all left wing thing back in the day that it wasn't left-wing Lee Harvey Oswald that was responsible for the death of the president. It was, well, some people said it was Carrie Thornley, but it was basically, it was, uh, people who wanted to pursue the Vietnam war. And according to the mythos, Camelot, i.e. the JFK White House, um, did not want to pursue it. a question, a questionable premise, but, uh, uh, nevertheless, that was the view and the conspiracy theory. However, you can draw a direct line from that left wing conspiracy theory that discounted the government reports on it. The, uh, uh, the Warren commission was discounted by the conspiracy theorists and so forth. Um, it mutated into suspicion that the government is lying to people right down to this election was fixed, the fix was in. And then it sort of morphs into uh, the American equivalent of uh, the neo-fascist movement that is, unfortunately, almost every country in Europe has a version of it Some more than others. I mean, the Russians complain about the Ukrainians having fascists. You ought to hear the number of fascist organizations there are in Russia. I mean, uh, I always think, you know, I don't like Putin, but there are worse things that could happen in Russia because I know uh, some of the people that are waiting in the wings, and they goose step.
0: Yeah, it's definitely... There was, I mean, we've done shows on this in the past where about where that line blurred. I think, we think it's 9-11 is where the um, conspiracy culture went dark. Um, that's where it really twist it tilted quite substantially <laughs> then. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Keith is, he, his version of conspiracy theory lines up fairly neatly with the Black Lodge theories in your book. Um, in some ways I think Uh,
1: Very close Mm -hmm. I mean he was writing at an earlier time and had I written this book contemporary with Saucers of the Illuminati it would have probably been closer I had yet to incorporate some of the things, some of the insights and of course my co-author has a background in uh, well the name of his press uh, was Conspiracy Press before it became the Celestial Lodge of Sirius Division. Uh, and uh, uh, he's certainly not a right-winger yeah. at all. Yeah, no, so, I've, I've, heard, uh, I've
0: heard of him before, Olaf Phillips. is um, Actually, uh, there's another podcaster who drew a cover for one of his magazines back in the day, who I know, um, shout out to Mario, he'll know who I, <laughs> who he is. But um, but yeah, no, Olaf Phillips never struck me as a right-wing conspiracy theorist. <laughs>
1: oh, he's not. I mean, I've gotten to know him. He's done a lot of personally good things mm-hmm. for me, as well as being a reliable publisher who has the illusion that everything I've ever written is worth putting... <laughs> in print, oh, and right. I can't argue with that. <laughs> no, how could I argue no, with he's that? he's right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so, I mean, really... I'm, we I get-
1: should say how Keith died. Yeah, I think so, yeah. There's a sequence here. First of all, he's chugging along, writing these books for Illuminate Press on the JFK assassination, the black helicopters, which was a darling of the right, but that was not where... I mean, I've been buzzed by the black helicopters too, and I—I'm uh, not sure what their origin is, or what they're up to, or whether it's you know uh, an actual government surveillance thing. In which case, I always wave and sing uh, "America the Beautiful" or you know whatever I think they're listening to. Uh, but um, he writes the UFO book, his only book on the UFO subject, unless I'm mistaken, continues to write in the genre that he mostly felt comfortable with. But at some point, Ron Bonds became a target and he died under mysterious circumstances. Jim Keith, who I had thought, even when he was standing right next to me, right where you're sitting now, we were standing and selling books, and I thought he's playing fast and loose here. Um, I mean, I'm not over-cautious, but I'm cautious, and I'm cautious about who I hang out with and where my vulnerabilities are, and I try to know where they are. Um, He went to Burning Man, and I don't know if the news of this year's Burning Man got to you, but it was a bad, bad trip. Well, he went to Burning Man years before that and had a sprained ankle. I'm not even sure if it was a true sprain or just a strained ankle. I mean, it's easy out in the desert where they, uh, this is a very, uh, wide assortment of people. It's not a rainbow family gathering for peace and love. It's, uh. It always makes me think of the movie The Wicker Man, <laughs> which is not a high recommendation unless you are a, a paleo druid, I guess, um, which there are some. Um, and he dies from a sprained ankle. Now, no family member has come forward to give inner details. No one who has the authority to release his medical records, has seen fit to do so, to my knowledge. So we have only the basic story. And the basic story can boil down to this. He made a mistake. He wrote a book about UFOs and UFO-related conspiratorial efforts to change the world in a negative way. And he died under mysterious circumstances, along with a spate of deaths in that same publishing house, which, for a variety of reasons, when they died, Illuminate Press, one of the few outlets for the kind of stuff your listeners and mine are interested in, was shut down forever. That's bad juju. Is that a concise? After being long-winded, <laughs> have I reduced it?
0: Yeah, I mean that's, and that, that, I mean that's a, a good point for us to end the show in a way. But maybe I mean, that when you talk about the Black Lodge and about thing, you know, their sort of abilities to silence things, that really feels like a good example of that to me. Um, I don't know if it does to you as it well. Is. But, yeah,
1: that's why the book is dedicated to the memory of Ron Bonds. Because, in fact, uh, you may recall there is uh, a chapter devoted to a dream Ron Bonds had in the, uh, complete, uh, in the Secret Cipher, the UFOnauts. And uh, so he was integral to the work that I have done. And this book uh, is, if it doesn't say it, the fact that a book about the Black Lodge is dedicated to a martyr named uh, Ron Bonds, uh, who was, I don't know, 40-ish. is just, uh, I mean, you can read between the lines there. It was, he was a victim of the Black Lodge. Probably not directly, but somebody in their employ was in the kitchen at this restaurant, and it was just at his table on his side of the table and it was someone who knew well enough to know that whereas sometimes when somebody dies a hideous death like that their spouse will carry on their work for them i understand that even the you know the books in stock that they had then were well, they didn't appear, so I assume they weren't even sold off. They may have even been trashed. I don't know. I'm not speaking against her. She probably, it was traumatic. He wanted to put it be- behind her. But from our point of view, we just don't have as much information as we should. We basically had an Orwellian writing out of history. Yeah. So
0: That's what it felt like. Yeah. Not-
1: well i've rewritten it into history so yeah, yeah. and you have too just now
0: <laughs> excellent well it's uh I'm, I'm for listeners that um haven't got picked up the book yet and if you are into that kind of jim keith era illuminate press kind of it this really does feel like uh you know like part of that canon almost to me that that book that's the sort of feeling i got reading the book anyway i was like oh this is great this this feels like a like a revival of that kind of era almost of of, of book so um yeah so i highly highly recommend it um i think it's a very good book what can we expect from you next mr greenfield are you do you have any other uh any other books in the in the pipeline or uh
1: i know you've only just one... got this one out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it took a year of toil and uh awful resistance which i think comes from the black lodge because they don't want the they don't, didn't want this book to come out um clearly i mean most of it fell on my publisher and his family um which is i warned him that might be the case because of my experience with illuminate but uh it's out now there was quite a bit of material that i would have included that didn't get into the book um, including uh, uh, stuff about the solar lodge, uh, the uh, mysterious death list and several other things that uh, were intended to be in the book but just somehow fell by the wayside because we had so much to cover. Uh, That may eventually be, uh, be another book but it will not be part of the trilogy, obviously, because then it would become a quadrilogy (laughs) and nobody would believe that there was any end of it, you know, like The Exorcist 17. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, I I don't want to flog it as a dead horse. It just seems uh, not particularly merciful. But
0: but you do think we might see that extra material at some point in the near future?
1: I'm determined that, people see that material um what form it'll be in i'm not absolutely sure like you said we just got this book out what was it three weeks ago a month ago maybe uh and it's still getting new circulation that is people just discovering it from people who've read it and it's uh uh I mean, every every, uh, I've been invited to do a lot of stuff, and I'm sure I will get, you know, uh, some interest from your program too. And probably some of these people will contact you and say, "Why did you have that nut job on there?" For I and you'll say well nut jobs are us <laughs> yeah that's, that's what we do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that would be a good name for a, po- a podcast <laughs> yeah. nut jobs are us
0: <laughs> anyway thank you so much again for giving us some of your time always appreciated and i'm sure we'll have you back on Oh, in fact, we were already planning to have you back on fairly soon for, to talk about sex magic. So, uh, um, oh, yeah. Forbidden. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, forbidden. <laughs> it's forbidden.
1: I say things that you'll want to hear, but really, really disturb you. But the name of this book that I just discussed at much greater length than I should have is Secrets of the Real Black Lodge. Revealed. And, and you can red. buy it from <laughs> Amazon UK or Amazon. Uh I am informed by the publisher that the Amazon people, every single uh outlet they have all over the world, because they closed down book depository, uh, they bought it and closed it down, but you can get it from every Amazon outlet anywhere in the world. I'm getting letters from South America and God knows where. Mm -hmm. Um, That's good. So. Excellent. And uh, other outlets also have it, but I don't know which ones do and which ones don't, if there are any that don't. So should not have trouble finding it. And I should say for the first time, there is a Kindle edition of this book, which is very moderately priced. Not that the paper edition is, you know, uber expensive, but, uh, I, I have thought that it's a good idea to have a Kindle type edition that people can uh, not, you know, not burden their pocketbooks in these troubled times.
0: Yeah, it, it's. Uh, we'll put links to one of those affiliate links. So we'll get some money as well. <laughs> <laughs> but but we, we do have affiliate links um, in the description Um uh, you might have to go to sittingnow.co.uk to get the actual link. I don't know. I'll try and link them properly in the YouTube video. YouTube has weird policies on linking out to other sites but we'll see but if you moment. buy it
1: from ken you get a coupie doll with it <laughs> yes 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 it's a real cupie doll that you would only get at a traveling carnival from <laughs> the travelers so yeah. it probably will dissolve in your hand but don't worry <laughs> <laughs> there's no refunds
0: it's always good to see you and uh um, until the next time sir
1: Thank you very much. This is a great interview.